In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, today we uh, continue to have opportunity to look at the Gospel of Mark and uh, to be paired with a reading from the book of James. And it's a familiar text, perhaps even both of those are familiar, and I, and I think that's even fair to say. I'm not presuming extensive biblical literacy on our part. I think like most of us are familiar with James 3, where it talks about the tongue. And uh, this is a well-known passage, and uh, mostly we know this is true because we probably were parented by being told things like, watch what you say. <laughs> Don't say that to your brother. Don't say that to your sister, right? And as some of us grew up and got married and had our own children, we now say things like, don't say that to your brother. Don't say that to your sister. Don't say that to me, right? So, um, so we know how important the tongue can be. Or we say something without being overly thoughtful, and immediately we want to somehow try to grab that back, right, and rewind. It's like, it's like in Google Mail when you have about six seconds to get that email back after you send it, right? You get that undo button, and you're, oh, no, wait, 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 and you, you hope you can catch it in time. And Occasionally, for some reason, there, it doesn't show up, and it's gone, and now you can't get it back. And so we know about language. We know about the tongue. We know the ways in which the tongue can get us into trouble. But we also know, and again, this is just to illustrate the reality, not to point out anything that you don't already know, or certainly not to harp on how bad the culture has gotten. I'm not old enough to be doing that yet. Um, but when I am old enough to do it, I plan on doing it, let me tell you, or something. I'm a, you know, it's like that's a rite of passage to be able to talk about the good old days. But, but you know, today, you can't, you can't do much of anything without your words potentially getting you into trouble. And words that you didn't put a particular meaning behind but might get interpreted that way. And in the day and age of social media, those things can have made themselves around uh, a number of channels before you're even able to defend yourself and say, well, that's actually not what I ever meant at all, right? So, of course, the lesson there is mostly don't say anything um, that could be misconstrued. But, but even today I saw, I, di I didn't read it because uh, I decided I had better things to do with my life, but I, I saw a, a, an article on Twitter today that said um, police in the UK encourage folks to uh, report, you know, particular things that their neighbors are saying, right? So if you were in your yard kind of kibitzing to a friend or a spouse about, I don't know, immigration, Brexit, whatever happens to be the thing of the day, you know, if you think, well, that's, I'm offended, like they're saying basically, great, call the police, let's have the police come and tell these people you're offended, you know, I mean, it's getting to the point where somewhere in the corner of your house, you might be able to say something that could be misconstrued, so we know, so, so there's a real sense of where the, I mean, the Bible gets it right, the tongue is a small yet powerful um, potential source of our sin, and that is exacerbated today in kind of a hypersensitive culture, in many ways rightly so, and in other ways, of course, just exactly that, a little overly hyper and sensitive to things. But the moral of the story is, is that using our tongue for good, right, using our tongue for good is what we're encouraged to do. But yet at the same time, let me suggest that not just in today's day and age, but perhaps during all ages, using our tongues for good to build people up, right, is costly. So using our tongues even to build people up is costly. 
So again, James warns us about the power of the tongue and how much damage it can inflict if we use it wrongly. And again, I'm sure you read through this passage in James and you say, yes, absolutely. I've been on the receiving end of that. And we can also elicit those times and we have used our words in a harmful way. And again, like, oh, I can't believe I just said that if I could get that back, right? Like simple things, that use of our tongue. And so James warns us and it's worth saying, why does James warn us, right? There's many things James could warn us about. There's many potential uh, things, uh, ways of sinning that the Bible can be si- is silent about, but James warns us about the tongue. Why is that? Well, I think it's because James is saying, unlike the beasts, the birds, the reptiles, and the sea creatures, that's his list, not mine, right? The beasts, the birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, they can all be tamed. We cannot. And I mean, insert all the jokes you want here about raising children or whatever, right? Like, but it's true, like, like, animals can be tamed, but we cannot. So I got to thinking this week, why is that? Right? Why, why can't we be tamed? And really, the early desert monastic tradition is about men and women, on occasion, trying everything they can to tame not just their mouth, their tongue, but their bodies, their thought life, the, the way they potentially could act out. And, and even they will talk about failing. And so why? Why is it that we can't be tamed? And because we can't be tamed, therefore our tongues become this small yet powerful potential source of sin, a weapon even. Well, I think it's because of our rationality and free will. Think about it. If we didn't think and think about what to say that could harm someone, our tongue wouldn't follow those thoughts and say it. Right? We, we are rational people. We can, we can hear what someone says to us and think about it and re- to choose freely and rationally to retaliate and to say something back to those people. So this week, our new neighbors moved in to us on the right-hand side of us. So we've had renters there ever since we've lived in our house, but now the owners of the house have moved back in. They did all kinds of remodeling. It looks great. And they moved back in. And I, I think it was Thursday. So I come home from work on Thursday and uh, Christine and I kind of passed each other. I was coming in from work and she was leaving with, to go get, with Brendan to go do senior pictures. And without even saying hello, she goes, the neighbors have a dog. I mean, it was literally like this, passing, like the neighbors have a dog. Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> Then I listened, and sure enough, the neighbors have a dog. Now, the moving people were still in the house. The dog was probably in the backyard on the back patio, but boy, it was going to town. And I thought to myself, oh, dear heavens, the neighbors have a dog. Right? And that dog has a tongue. And as much as we would like to think of these animals as being rational, they're not. At least not always, if that's less offensive to you dog owners, right? So eventually I thought to myself, now, I've met these neighbors only a couple of times when they came over to look at the progress on the house. I'm, I'm getting a sense that these are not the, they have air conditioning, unlike us, and they come across as not the type of people that are not going to use the air conditioning and leave the windows open, right? Like, we have to. So I thought to myself, this is all going to be fine. The dog's going to be, like, it was a little yippy bark. It's an indoor dog, clearly not an outdoor dog. There's no, there's no chavo or anything like that, you know. Who's uh, also an 80-pound rescue pit bull indoor dog. So, uh, uh, but, you know, there's no chavo. This is little yippy dog, and so it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And we barely have heard the dog really since then. But then last night, 
go upstairs to go to bed, and across the park, if you know where we live, across the park, that, that park down to the creek is like the Hollywood Bowl. It has great sound, which makes me realize I need to talk more quietly probably in my house sometimes. But, but two dogs across the park were having a conversation. Or at least they were barking at the same ghost or whatever was happening over there, okay? And I mean, we don't normally hear that, but it was endless. They wouldn't stop. It was, like, it was like 11, 10 after 11, and they're still going at it, and they're still going at it. I, again, small-sounding barks, you know, like very high-pitched, you know, yippee little barks. And I thought, what? What in the world? And so they, they, they bark, they bark, they bark. The whole time I'm getting ready, they bark, they bark. I, I lay down to go to, to sleep. They're barking, they're barking, they're barking. Now, fortunately, I, I sleep with enough white noise to cancel out most things. And so um, I fell asleep. It was fine. They were not barking this morning still. I, I was impressed by how long the dogs could bark, to be honest with you. But, but again, like those dogs, who knows what they're barking at? But in some sense, you know, you can also go over to someone's house and the dog will never bark at you because they've trained it. They've tamed it, right? They've, they've taught their dog not to bark when someone comes into the house, right? So there's all kinds. But, but this week I was thinking like, okay, why can't we be tamed? Why do we always like these dogs that just won't seem to stop? Why are we always using our tongues improperly. And again, I think it's because of our rationality and free will. We can think about it. And we can even think about the way our words are going to hurt, and we can still choose to speak them. So it's appropriate that James warns us about this. I mean, listen to what he says. Like, again, you heard it read by Betsy, but, but listen to this. I mean, this is, this is in no, he, it doesn't, this is not a passing reference. The people stumble in what he says. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell while we're at it. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, and from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Wow, what a great reminder about how deadly our tongues are, right? I mean, like James is just saying, like, look, I don't know, like, we're embodied people, but that tongue, if anything is going to get you in trouble, it's going to be that tongue. You know, to the point of describing the tongue as being set on fire by hell. And then I think it is getting progressively worse so that James ends by saying, and think about it, think about it, you bless and curse out of that same mouth with that same tongue. So it would be easy to say, okay, folks, we have a problem. It's called our tongue. Shy of advocating the removal of our tongues, which doesn't seem reasonable, we need to be better at how we use the tongue. Then I started wrestling with, like, okay, why is Mark paired with this? Or even if it's the other way around, right? Let's presume the gospel was chosen um, and then James is paired with it. And then I realized something that I hadn't seen before. And that is in Mark 8, and especially in this set of readings we have tonight, we have this confession, right, by Peter that Jesus is the Christ. So the Gospel of Mark, I think, shows us the plus side, if you will, of the power of the tongue. Right? It shows us what is possible with our tongue. Now, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38 is what we read tonight. Peter's confession is a high point in Mark's Gospel. 
right? It marks the transition from the first half of Mark's gospel, which is all about who Jesus is, right? Jesus talks in parables mostly, does miracles, but says, don't tell anyone, right? The, 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 the Mark secret. So, so the messianic secret it's called. And so, so the first half of Mark is really about like, who is this Jesus? And then we get to this confession by Peter and the other disciples, and it marks this transition to the second half of the book, which is all about the mystery of Jesus' suffering and his glory. And in the second part, Jesus begins to talk in very clear terms. He no longer speaks in parables. He begins to explain things more fully. And we, we see that transition immediately when Peter says, well, you are the Christ. Then he says, don't tell anyone. That's normal for the first half of the book. And then he begins to teach them the next verse. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and in three days rise again. So you are the Christ. Don't tell anyone, I have to go die, but I'll be raised again. Right? No longer in a parable, no longer veiled, explicit teaching. Right? Talk about turning on a dime, if you will. The gospel account does that. But what I want us to focus on in that first part, there's a real question about who Jesus is. Right? People are saying he's Elijah. People are saying that he's John the Baptist, or at least people are saying we know you're one of the prophets. There seems to be a general confusion about who Jesus is which, again, makes sense in the Gospel of Mark with the Messianic secret. So Jesus says, well, okay, well, who do you say that I am? Right? In other words, think about what I'm asking you, and how are you going to answer? And maybe to put it in the language of James, think about what you're going to say and what's going to roll off your tongue. Right? Doesn't it seem like there's something that's at stake here, right? Who do you say that I am? And I mean, Jesus isn't challenging them in the sense like, be careful what you say, because I might get upset. But there is this, again, think about it, and how are you going to answer? What are you going to say? So Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God. Now, that's a great use of the tongue, right? Like, to confess who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, that he's the anointed one of God, is that's the right answer, if you will. If this was a test, they passed. Congratulations, you know who I am. But then Jesus immediately begins to, uh, to tell them what's going to happen, and then we know what Peter then does, because he gets a bad rap for this. Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke Jesus. Right? Like, in other words, Peter's like, why are you saying this? Don't, don't say this. We, you're the Messiah. This is not going to happen to you. Don't, either that or he's just saying, don't tell us these things. These are too hard for us to hear, right? We're coming to see who you are. We're coming to understand who you are. Don't, don't ruin it by telling us what's going to come. In either case, let me suggest that, man, Peter, that's not a great use of your tongue at that moment. I mean, he gets rebuked for it in the famous, you know, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what's, what's Peter's problem? He's not using his rationality correctly. He's not setting his mind on divine things. He's thinking like a human being, right? He's thinking like, no, like we, we're your friends, aren't we? We're walking and, 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 and talking with you and learning from you. We don't want you to go and die. We don't want you to have to experience this. He's thinking 
like most humans would, and he gives voice to that thought. And then Jesus, after rebuking him, calls a crowd to himself and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Then he goes on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The answer, of course, is nothing. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Again, nothing. And then this line from Jesus, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Right? If you're ashamed of me and my words, if you're ashamed of me and the teaching that I'm now giving you about having to go and to die, then really there's nothing for me to do. There is no place for you in the kingdom. I mean, another way to say that is you're, you lack faith. You're not a person of faith. But I love how Jesus focuses in, if you're ashamed of me and my words, my teaching. Right? If you don't like what you're hearing, and it leads you to say foolish things like Peter just did, right? then, then when I come back, there's nothing for you. Right? So again, words, words matter. Peter didn't think divinely about what Jesus was saying, and he gets called out for it. He, he spoke his mind, and Jesus had to use words to correct him. And, and then in this charge about what it means to actually be disciples, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus— we are then told, do that, because if you're ashamed of me and my words, then you'll have no part with me in the kingdom. So words, rationality, our ability to think and be people who can hear and process and think well about what we are learning, what we know, what we see. That is the charge for us tonight. It's not just about speak less and you'll get in trouble less. I sometimes say that to my kids. Maybe today, maybe not today, one of them had to, I had to say, don't say it, right? I, I know what you're thinking. Don't say it. It's going to be better for you if you don't say it, <laughs> right? And we have, and unfortunately today, that son of mine, whomever it was, reasoned well and didn't say anything. It turned out great. We had a perfectly fine afternoon. Right, But as we are able to process and to think about and to use our minds and to use our free will, we are faced with a choice. The tongue isn't the problem necessarily. It's what we give voice to. It's what goes from our minds, what we're thinking. And that's coupled with what's in our hearts, though the text don't speak of that, but we know that's the way it is. It's those things that then come out that we can either use to build other people up, we can use our tongue for good, or we can use our tongue to tear down. And so we are faced with the choice, but it's not because we're embodied people with this tongue that's just getting in the way. Instead, we've been given rationality and the ability to give voice to what we think. And thankfully so, because Jesus was able to teach and to tell them about the future and to warn them that they needed to heed his words if they wanted to have a part with him. And so that's what we need to hear today. And as we wrap up, let's think about last week where we talked about how James said, look, Faith comes first, yes, but it has to be followed by works. 
right? We have to be people who are doing things. Our faith has to be put into action. This is an extension of that. As people of faith, as people whose lives have been changed by the work of God, the ongoing work of God in our minds, right, the ongoing illumination of the Holy Spirit, then our words should continue to be more and more seasoned with salt, spoken appropriately, spoken lovingly, spoken well. We should be using our tongues well to build up. But if we don't, then there's something at stake, and we need to always bear that in mind. So again, as we, as we ponder these passages, again, because we're rational people, as we're given the opportunity to think about what God is calling us to, he is calling us to be people who guard our tongues well, who use them to bless, not to curse, who, who uses them, our tongues, our words, our thought patterns, to honor him, to glorify him, to confess that he's the Christ, not to turn around a moment later, right, and to rebuke him, but instead to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him, including with our minds and with our mouths. So every week we have the opportunity to say very true things in this liturgy, right? We get to speak words that are tried and true and oftentimes just scriptural. And so as we do that, as we, as we think about the way in which we speak forth and sing forth the truths of God in this space, and then we are admonished to go out into the world to do the work that God has given us to do, let us, let's bear in mind that that includes to take these words out into the world, so that those words will continue to be a blessing in the lives of others and not a curse. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.